So let's get started. Let me begin by asking you a question. What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? Could be a holiday, close to summer now. Could be the birth of a child, a grandchild perhaps. Could be a new job, could be retirement. Could be going back to the gym for the first time in a year tomorrow. Lots of things you could be looking forward to. Think, have you got something in mind, what you're looking forward to? Now ask this question, how does that make you feel? When you think about what you're looking forward to, how do you feel? Excitement, anticipation. That feeling of a, of a child who can't wait for Christmas to come, they just can't wait for it to come. Do you get that feeling? When you're really looking forward to some, something, you just can't wait for it to arrive. You're counting in the sleeps till it arrives. Let me ask another question. When I say to you the word heaven, what do you think of? What comes to mind when I say heaven? Have a think. Clouds? Fluffiness? Heart plane? Earthy stuff? Trees? Rivers? Philadelphia cheese? Now, think of heaven. Whatever picture you've got in mind, think of heaven. Now ask this question. How do I feel when I think of heaven? How do I feel when I think about heaven? Excitement? Anticipation? Can't wait for it to come? Indifference? Boredom? Fear? You see, I think what we feel about something says a lot about what we think about something. We get excited about what we think positively about, we get scared, anxious, worried about what we think negatively about. We feel indifferent towards things we just don't think about. What do you think about heaven? Are you excited, indifferent, or in fear? Apparently, there's been a lot of surveys done of Christians, um, evangelical Christians at that, who when they think about heaven, they just think, oh, I'm just going to be so bored. I'm going to be bored because there's not a lot to do there. I'm enjoying life now. I don't want to get there. Well, that feeling, that thinking comes from a, a wrong thinking about what the Bible teaches about heaven. You see, tonight, we're going to be exploring what heaven is. We're going to be looking at this new creation. And it's my hope, it's my aim that as we do so, we get excited by heaven. We just get that feeling of I just can't wait to get there. We're going to do this by looking at Revelation chapter 21. So come back to Revelation 21 now. Get your Bibles back open again. Come there. And we're, <laughs> in the next half an hour, going to attempt to look at the new creation. Now, C.S. Lewis, um, he writes in his novel, The Last Battle, the last one of um, the Narnia Chronicles, the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful, I cannot write them. They're so amazing, so incomprehensible, words cannot contain what these things are about to happen. That's how he describes the new creation. Words cannot contain the incompatibleness, the incomprehensibleness of this new creation. But we're going to give it an attempt, and as we do so, we're going to pray for the Lord's help doing this. Let's pray together as we start. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this picture of the new creation you've revealed to us at the end of your word. Father, these Things are just mind-boggling, they're incomprehensible to our human minds, so we ask that your Holy Spirit would be a work at us now. Help us to understand what this new creation is going to be like. Help us have this big, wonderful picture of this glorious new creation 
so that we can look forward to it with eager anticipation. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at the series, Living the Light for Eternity. And tonight we're looking at the new creation. Now in Revelations, um, it's a great book, but it's an oft, often a book that's left unread because it's quite hard to understand. Now as we begin, I want to point at one thing. There's a lot of symbolism in this passage, okay? There's a lot of pictures that John saw in his vision that help us understand the main points of the new creation, okay? Lots of symbolism, not all to be taken literally, okay? But on the same point, this does not mean the new creation is to be taken symbolically. The new creation is a real place. The new creation is a literal place. It's a physical place, okay? If you're with us last week, we looked at the, the resurrection of our bodies, the physical resurrection of bodies. Now, if after we raise back to life, we're going to have physical bodies, these physical bodies are going to need to have a physical place to go, yes? So this new creation is real. Lots of symbolism, but the new creation is real. Let's say that right to start as we begin looking at this. But come with me to Revelation 21, and let's get stuck into this. Revelation 21, verse 1 says this, Then I saw what? A new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. You see, in this passage, we see that God is making all things new. If we go to the next slide there. I am making all things new. Now, a question we've got to ask, what does it mean when we say new? Does this mean a brand new creation? And so God's going to wipe out this world and replace it with something completely different. Well, if you look at the original language and look at that word new, the choice of word for that word new has nothing to do with time. Instead, the word chosen by John for the word new deals more with the nature or the quality of that thing. So new means new in nature, new in quality, not new in time or new in origin. Do you understand that? So the focus of this bit here is not so much on the date, but rather the quality of this creation. So in reading this passage, a new heaven and a new earth, what we're looking at really is more of a renewed heaven, a renewed earth. Better in every respect, but still have some continuity with this world, okay? It's not brand new, it's more renewed. Think more that way, okay? Renewed. That's what this new creation is going to be. Now look, now we're getting to good stuff. Look at what this new creation is going to have or not have. End of verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now does this mean there's going to be no sea in heaven? I know that I might upset a lot of people here. Uh, I was actually at, at a wedding yesterday, and the bride and groom loved the boats. They loved going out in open waters and sailing away on the, sea, on the open seas. So does this mean there's going to be no sea? Well, again, remember, symbolism. Now it's taken literally. You see, in the Bible, throughout Scripture, the sea is often depicted as a place of chaos and hostility from which arise adversaries, enemies of God. And this continues throughout the book of Revelation itself. Uh, we read of the dragon, an ancient serpent, standing on the sand of the sea in chapter 12. That is Satan. Uh, we see of it rising from the sea, a beast emerge having ten horns, seven heads, resembling a leopard, a bear, a lion. Chapter 13, this is another enemy of God. So when John says here, there'll be sea, the sea will be no more, what he's actually saying is, there's going to be no more chaos. There's going to be no more evil. 
there's going to be no more enemies of God in this new creation. The sea, that turbulent realm for which dragons launch from in a desperate assault on God and his people is going to be eliminated. Evil will be no more. Instead, God's people will be able to enjoy God's presence and unending security experience the fullness of their salvation. No more sea, no more evil. That is what we're looking forward to, brothers and sisters. For those of us who are in Christ, we're looking forward to a physical world where there'll be no more evil, no more hostility towards God. And it gets even better. Come to verse 4 of chapter 21. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Think about that for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is coming a world where there's going to be no more pain, no more mourning, no more death, no more crying. God is going to wipe every tear away from their eyes. What a glorious future awaits us for those of us who are in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Think of how many times you've cried already in your life. When you get to heaven, you're never once going to cry again because of, because of pain, because of suffering, because of death. Never again. God's going to wipe away the tears from the eyes. Why? Keep going verse 4. For the old order of things have passed away. This world that is marred by sin, this world that is marred by death and decay, as we've looked at these past few Sundays, it's going to be no more. Instead, it's going to be renewed. There's going to be a place where there's no more suffering, no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. That is a guaranteed future that awaits all Christians, that awaits the church, God's people. Look at me, verse 5. Look at what God says after this. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for... This is nice wishful thinking. For, this is a nice crutch for you to have. For, this is a version of utopia. No, for, these words are trustworthy and they are true. No more evil. No more suffering. No more pain. No more crying. No more mourning. A renewed world. This is trustworthy. This is true. This is going to happen. This is not wishful thinking. This is not a nice crutch to have as you think about death. This is a reality. This is a reality that is ours in Christ Jesus. And look at the one who's speaking. It is God who's speaking this. It is God who's sitting on the throne. Why is he sitting? Because the battle has been won. The battle over evil and sin has been won. The victory is, is his. That's what he says. Verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the one who's going to make all things new. This is the one who's going to have this wonderful new creation for those who trust in him. It is done. These words are trustworthy and true. This is a reality that awaits us all for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He is the one, keep going to verse 6, that is going to give this free gift of life. Verse 6, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Let me ask you a question. Have you come to God for the water of life? Have you come to God who is the source of life to find this spring of the water of life? 
Have you come to him yet? Because this world that I've briefly just described here is only going to be reality for those who have come to God, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So have you done that? Have you come to him for the water of life? We see this idea of water of life further down the passage. Come quickly with me to verse, uh, chapter 22 and verse 1 where the angel shows John, who's the writer of this, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. This water of life is going to be flowing abundantly in this new creation. It's going to come from God himself, from his throne, from the throne of God and from the throne of the Lamb. Now this idea of this uh, water of life, we've seen previously in the Bible. We see it way back in Ezekiel chapter 47. And in that, we've got the river of the water of life flowing from God's throne, where? Into the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is famed for its saltiness, and it's famed for its lack of life that lives there because it's so salty. It's very hard for life to thrive in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called dead, obviously. Dead Sea. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's like Ronstein says what it says in the tin. But listen to these words from Ezekiel 47. It says this. When it empties into the sea, that is the river, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever this river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. You see, this picture of the water of life is a depiction of, this, of life, literally life, where there once was death. Life brewing up where once was death and decay now there is life flowing from the throne of God. And what's either side of this tree of this water of life? It is a tree of life. See in there, chapter 22, verse 2. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's going to be life in this new creation because there's going to be healing in this new creation. Think of all the wounds in this life. Heart, suffering, pain, persecution. The wounds that we face in this life are going to be healed in the new creation. They're going to be healed by the leaves of this tree. Remember, symbolic again. There's going to be healing in this new creation. And the best thing of all, look at verse, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. There's going to be no curse in this new creation. Right now we live in a world which is broken, which is decaying, which has death, which has wounds, which has suffering in it because it's got sin in it. It's under the curse of sin. It's under the curse of our rejection against God. But here in this new creation, no longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any sin. Instead there will be healing and there will be life. No more mourning. No more pain, no more suffering, no more crying. These words are trustworthy. These words are true. And if you think heaven's going to be boring, guess what? Boring is part of the curse. No curse, it ain't going to be boring in heaven, I can tell you that, okay? It's not going to be boring at all. Boring's part of the curse. Curse is gone. Boredom is gone. Yes. No longer will your kids be getting bored anymore. It's amazing, isn't it? No longer any curse. But do you know what the best part of all this is? The 
best part of everything in this passage. The reason for this renewal, the reason why there's no longer evil, the reason why there's no longer tears or boredom, no longer any curse, is because this is where God is going to dwell with his people. Come back to me to chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. What wonderful covenantal language there. You see, way, way back when God first called himself a people, way back in what we called Israel back in the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to make a promise with you. You'll be my people, and I will be your God. We see that throughout the entire scripture, and here we have the fulfillment of that covenant, of that promise, where God's people are going to dwell perfectly with God himself. Why? Because there's no more curse. There's no more separation between us and God. Because the curse is done away with, sin is gone, and we get to dwell in perfect fellowship with our gods. God is going to dwell with his people. Come back to chapter 22, verse 3. Sorry, we're flicking a bit here, but it's all good stuff. Uh, after no longer will be any curse, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. Brothers and sisters, we are going to see God's face. We're going to have him right there. We're going to see him before our very eyes. The invisible God become visible as we dwell with him in perfect unity and perfect fellowship. There's going to be no temple and this new creation, why? Because God dwells with his people there. You don't need a temple anymore because God is with his people. We see God face to face. And can you see the glory that shines through this passage? Because God dwells with them. Come to verse 5, chapter 22, verse 5. There'll be no more nights. Why? Because they're not going to, they will not need the light of the, of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. See, God's glory is going to be radiating throughout this new creation. So much so that we don't need any light there at all. You don't need a sun, you don't need a moon. We don't need lamps, we don't need candles because God's there, radiating out of his glory, this wonderful light as we dwell perfectly with him. And what is remarkable, it blows my mind every time looking at this, that not only will God be shining this light, but we as his, his people who are no longer under the curse of sin anymore, his people who have been renewed, been resurrected, we are going to shine that light with them. God's glory will be revealed in us. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, last week. Uh, sorry, Romans 8, sorry, uh, back in uh, uh, two weeks ago. God's glory is going to be revealed in us. Isn't that amazing? You're going to reveal God's glory. I can't wait for that day to come. No longer the curse of sin and revealing God's glory. It blows my mind. Now, you may have noticed, I've kind of skipped over this a little bit, but the holy city, uh, you notice uh, John describes this wonderful holy city here. Uh, now, a few, um, this is an area where some Christians disagree on, but I think the holy city depicts the church. It depicts God's people in here. And let's look a bit further just to see this glory that's going to be dwelling in this place, Okay. So come back to chapter 21, verse 2. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as what? A bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. 
Think of that idea. Bride, husband, keep that thought in mind, okay? Now, come back with me to chapter 21, verse 10. In fact, no, verse 9. So one of the angels came to John and said to him, come, I will show you what? The bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, who's this bride? Who's the bride? Well, the Bible tells us the bride, the wife of the lamb, who's Jesus, is the church. The church, God's people, is the bride, who's one day is going to be come to God and his, uh, come to Jesus in this wonderful marriage. That's what our earthly marriage is all about. It depicts the church and Jesus, the bride and the bridegroom, this wonderful marriage coming together. Look, keep going with the uh, chapter 10 now. So he's just told John, I'm going to show you the bride. Then he carried him away in spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed him what? The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from God. I think this tells us this holy city is going to be God's people. Now, verse 11, what does it shine with? It shines with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like the very precious jewel, jasper, clear as crystal. I mean, the description of all the wonderful precious stones is quite mind-boggling in this when we look at this holy city, yeah? Uh, Look at the gates. Uh, The gates themselves are going to be made with one petal. Verse 21. The 12 gates of this holy city each made with a single petal. Can you imagine that? A gate made with a single petal. Imagine the brilliance of that. That's described in the church. Uh, verse 18, the wall of this is going to be made of jasper. It's going to be a city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls decorated with every kind of precious stones, and the list goes on, all the precious stones there. Basically, the picture here, this is going to be a wonderful, glorious new creation. Why? Because God is going to dwell with his glorious people. The glorious God is going to dwell with the glorious people in this new creation. Perfected people. People no longer under the curse of sin. People who can't help but keep the will of God. People who can't help but worship God in the way that we were created to do. With all our mind, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Worship and adore in this glorious God shines through this glory of God in this passage. God is going to dwell with his people. Now, we rush through that, okay? Deliberately so because I want to get to application here, okay? Now, um, there's lots more we can speak of um, in this passage. I encourage you to go away, keep reading this. It's a wonderful depiction of the new creation that awaits us all. Um, It's wonderful imagery here. Just keep reading it and just keep dwelling on this and get excited for this. But I want to come Uh, to the application of all this. You see, Jesus says in chapter 22, uh, verse seven, he says, look, I am coming soon. Look, I am coming soon. See, Jesus is coming, and with him will come this new creation. Jesus is coming, and with him we'll be able to dwell with God in this perfect fellowship. Jesus is coming, and with him is gonna be this creation free from the curse of sin, Jesus is coming and this physical new creation that is as certain as us sitting here today is going to arrive with him. This glorious eternity that awaits those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So, how then should we live in light of eternity? How should this new creation impact our life today? Number one, Luke, I'm coming soon, so be ready. Be ready. I don't know if you noticed as you read through the passage There's a guest list in this passage. As we look through it, did you spot the guest list? Three times we have it. Uh, Chapter 21, verse seven. 
Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God and they will be my children. We see in uh, chapter 27, the nations are going to come into this new creation. Those who have their names in the book of life are going to be the new creation. And then uh, later on, we didn't read this, but in chapter 22, it's those who are going to have washed their robes are going to enter this new creation. There's a guest list. And if it's a guest list, it's also going to be a barred list as well. It's going to be those who are cowardly, unbelieving, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, liars, the impure, those who do shameful and deceitful acts, dogs as in evil men, those who love and practice falsehoods. These people will not enter this new creation. Here's the kicker. That list describes us. That barred list describes us by nature. See, whether or not we admit it or not, if we are honest, we can identify with at least one thing on that list. Cowardly, unbelievable, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, the list goes on, liars. We are on the barred list. But here's the glorious news of the gospel. The glorious news of the gospel is that while we were still on the barred list, while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus Christ into the world for, to die for sinners like us. He died the death that we deserved so that we can look forward to this glorious eternity. He died the death we deserved so we can look forward to our resurrected body and our new creation. So how do we go from the barred list to the guest list? Simple. Well, it's simple to say, hard to do. Repent and believe the good news. Say sorry to God for your sins. Turn away from, living, from rejecting him and turn toward God and believe in Jesus. Trust in him as your Savior and Lord and you'll go from the barred list to the guest list. You see, on that cross when Jesus died, that was when the victory was won over sin and death. On that cross when Jesus died, that is when the door of this new creation was opened up to all who believe in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, our names are now found in the book of life for those who come to him. Our robes have been washed pure. And this transferal is permanent. We looked at that in Romans 8. Nothing is going to keep you from going back from the guest list to the barred list. That's amazing, isn't it? All because of the victory of Jesus Christ. So are you ready? Are you on the guest list or are you on the barred list? Second thing, look, I'm coming soon. So rejoice. At the start, I asked you what you felt about heaven. Did you feel excited or indifferent or fearful? Well, this passage causes us to rejoice in eager anticipation of what's about to come. This passage calls us to join in that chorus at the end of chapter 22, crying out for Jesus to come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now that's rejoicing. Saying that word, come, Lord Jesus. I think it's an easy thing to do when we're going through bad times. Do you know when you're suffering? When things are tough, when things are hard? It's easy to say, come then, I think. Because you're looking forward to this new creation where there's no more sin, no more suffering. Be able to dwell with God in perfect fellowship. I think it's harder to say when life is going well. I think it's harder to say, come Lord Jesus, when we're enjoying the sunshine. I think it's hard to say, come Lord Jesus, when we're at a picnic. I think it's hard to say, come Lord Jesus, when we get the dream job, the dream car, we've got the dream family, and the dream house. It's harder to say, come then, isn't it? Because we're enjoying this creation so much. So the second thing, third thing, sorry. Look, I'm coming soon, so get the right perspective. 
keep perspective on life in this world. You see, having this great view of eternity is going to help us have the right perspective on both the bad things in this life, but also the good things in this life as well. Have you noticed how many books there are that say a hundred things to do before you die? Or 99 places you must visit before you die. You must visit it. What is the mentality? What is the thinking behind these books? It's this. You've got one life. Enjoy it. Make the most of it right now because this is all you got. So do all these things. Visit all these places. Have all these experiences. Go swim with dolphins, parachuting, uh, hike the Inca Trail, go up Everest, whatever it is. Run a marathon. Learn to play an instrument. Do this now because this is all you've got. Well, do you know what the Bible says? No. If you're in Christ Jesus, this is a taster of what's to come. All the good things in this life are a mere taster of what awaits you in this new eternity. See, in this new eternity, there is no such things as bucket lists. Do you know what a bucket list is? A list of things to do before you die. What is the motivation? What's the mindset behind that? It's this idea you only live once, isn't it? Experience all you can here because otherwise you're going to miss out on life. You have this FOMO. You had FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, let me tell you this. There's no bucket list in heaven. Why? Because there's no death in heaven. You're going to have an eternity to explore this new creation. You're going to have eternity to enjoy all that awaits us up there. You're never going to miss out. There's no FOMO. There's no bucket list in heaven. In fact, bucket list, that mentality is actually quite very unbiblical. It's very unbiblical. Now, that's not to say that swimming with dolphins is a bad thing to do or learn an instrument. These are all good things to do. Enjoy creation. God has given us for it to enjoy. But don't think this is all there is. Instead, when you're swimming with a dolphin, think, this is amazing, but boy, is the new creation going to be even better. When you're supping your Lucas ice cream in Charlotte Square Gardens, this is amazing, but boy, the new creation is going to be better. When you're halfway up Everest, I'm not sure what you're thinking, but you're halfway up Everest nonetheless, but think, boy, the new creation is going to be better because why this is not it, something better awaits us in this new creation. So keep perspective in all the good things in life. Time has gone. Shame. <laughs> but we began this series by looking at C.S. Lewis' quote that encouraged us to think most about the next world to make a big impact in this world. Well, let me finish with this quote from the end of the last battle, the very last book in Narnia. C.S. Lewis, pretty much the last word, says this. For them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All the life in Narnia had only been a cover and a title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. What a wonderful depiction, what wonderful words trying to capture this new creation. You see, this world is but the cover and the title page of the great story. We are looking forward to that wonderful day where every single chapter will be better than the one before. Where we will dwell with God and see him face to face. Where all tear of suffering will be wiped clean and we get to enjoy him forever. That reality 
is real. That reality is going to happen, brothers and sisters. So let's rejoice. Let's get ourselves ready and let's keep things in the right perspective on this as we wait with eager anticipation the world that is to come. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.